verse that I'm reading is from John 11, verse 1 to 44. So now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one he poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you were going back. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who was to come into the world. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind Oh, sorry. Open the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Obiot. Fantastic. So if you want to follow along, we're in John 11, but the relevant verses will pop up um, on the screen. And we're continuing our series, working our way through the book of John, this journey of wild wonder, where the fourth gospel writer paints this beautiful picture of the God of the universe stepping into his creation to offer eternal life to those who believe in him. Now, John's gospel is divided into two large sections. The first is the book of signs, and the second is the book of glory. And in this book of signs, so far, we've seen Jesus performing these miraculous signs, turning water into wine, 
healing an official's son, healing a crippled man, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, healing a man born blind. And then in today's text, right at the end of the book of signs, in a story that's only found in John, Jesus performs the most dramatic of signs to date, anticipating his own resurrection just a week later. I wonder if you've ever had that moment where you suddenly realise you've been saying a phrase incorrectly for pretty much the whole of your life. I I looked up the most common one of these is people saying to be pacific instead of specific. Have you heard that one? Um, Also in the top 10 apparently is cold slaw instead of coleslaw. Um, That got me thinking about cold sores and kind of put me off of kind of mayo-based sides for for a good week. Um, But the one, embarrassingly, that I I only discovered a a couple of years ago is the saying to make ends meet. You know, when people say, oh, people are struggling to make ends meet. I always thought that meant they didn't have enough money to buy, you know, like a nice kind of sirloin, but had to just buy the end part of the meat, which kind of made logical sense rather than meaning struggling to make two ends of something meet together. Um, So I don't know if you've had a similar thing, but I was um, well into my 30s before I realized that's what that meant. So there you go. And I had a similar realization when I was reading through the story of Lazarus. I realized actually this is a very familiar story, but it isn't actually about Lazarus. He doesn't even speak. You know, not at the start of the story, um, not at the end of the story once he's been raised, and as far as I can tell, not while he was in the tomb either. The first thing to set the scene is to realize this story isn't about Lazarus. It's a story about Mary and Martha and Jesus and the journey of grief and hope. So there are three sections to this story. The death of Lazarus, then Jesus grieving with the sisters, and then Jesus raising Lazarus. And the first section, verses 1 to 16, we find that Lazarus is very ill and then dies. We then learn that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are from Bethany. And this is significant, I think, for a couple of reasons. First of all, the name Bethaneia means, I've been practicing that all week, guys, means house of misery or house of the poor. So it's very possible this was a village where the poor and the sick were cared for. Perhaps it was even a refuge for lepers. Um, as I said recently, we've moved into the vicarage over at Lord's Hill and we're chatting to the neighbours opposite us um, and all of them have lived there since all of the houses were built and we were having the usual kind of deep neighbourly chats about like which day the bins go out um, and they actually said that our house before it was a vicarage used to be an orphanage. So two houses, they combined them into one to provide a home for local children that didn't have parents um, and then independently from that when we were at Focus, um, someone gave us a powerful prophetic word saying that our ministry, our house, and our church there would be a place where families, sorry, where people are given a family and a home. And the reason why I say that is often the history of a place has a great significance in what Jesus is continuing to do there in the future. Sometimes you look back into the history of a place to see what God's going to be doing there in the future. And we see that here at St. Mary's with Bridge to the Gap kicking off. We know 150 years ago, St. Mary's um, uh, Southampton Football Club was, was begun from this church and that ministry continues. Or you look back to the planting history of this, this church, planting Winchester Cathedral hundreds of years ago and the, the planting that continues to go on now. And we see the same thing happen in this story. The name Bethany means house of misery or house of the poor, but it reveals a profound truth to us that Jesus' greatest sign takes place in the area of greatest need. That God is a God of sorrow and suffering, acquainted with our grief, and he saves his best 
for the last, the least, and the lost. So it could well be that Lazarus of Bethany has become very unwell from leprosy. And so Mary and Martha send a message to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. Not Lazarus is ill, not even our brother is ill, but the one you love is ill. That's then followed by perhaps the most confusing or one of the most frustrating verses in the whole Bible. It says this, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. Oh man, he just stayed there two more days. Not just that, but because he loved them, he stayed where he was two more days. I wonder if you have ever prayed, Jesus, you know, I'm desperate. Would you bring healing now? You know, Jesus, I don't know which decision to make. I need an answer now. You know, Jesus, I can't cope with the situation I'm in one more day. I need breakthrough now. And yet seemingly nothing happens when you need it to. If that is you, then you're not alone. You know, that's a situation Mary and Martha found themselves in. And it's not till later in the story that we understand why Jesus did this. You know, isn't it often only later that we realise that Jesus was work all along? You know, only afterwards we see that Jesus had the bigger picture in mind. And yet Jesus calls us to a greater level of faith where we trust him in the moment and not only when we've got our answer. So if that's you now, if you're in a Mary and Martha situation where Jesus seems to be delaying, I'd encourage you to hold your nerve, to press into Jesus and to trust him in the journey that he's taking you on. This town, Bethany, is significant because it's the area of greatest need where Jesus' greatest sign is about to take place, but it's also significant due to its proximity to Jerusalem. We read Bethany is situated less than two miles from Jerusalem, and it wouldn't be one of my sermons without a mapping, so there we go, guys. It's situated less than two miles from Jerusalem, and we see across this book of signs in John that as the signs become more dramatic, Jesus gets ever closer to Jerusalem, the prospect of his own death becomes an increasing reality. And you see this in verse 8 when Jesus suggests to his disciples they should head towards Judea. They try to dissuade him, saying, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Yet Jesus' purpose is clear. He came down, so he came to lay down his life so that others may live. You see, Jesus' choice to give life to Lazarus, the one he loves, will ultimately lead to his own death in Jerusalem just a week later. It's as a direct result of this miracle that the authorities state that Jesus must die. And so if you are currently faced with the frustration of a seemingly unanswered prayer, Know that Jesus isn't absent or walking away from your situation, but entering into your suffering, walking towards your pain and giving himself up for your good. In this first section, we've learned that Lazarus has died. In the second of the three sections, we see Jesus comforting Mary and Martha. Now, I wonder your experience of people comforting you uh, I remember a teacher at school who, you know, if you were crying or upset, they kind of didn't say anything, you know, not a word, no eye contact, just slowly shunted some blue roll in your direction. It wasn't even a proper box of tissues. Um, 
whether there are other people that you may know, and there are many in this room, who have the incredible gift of compassion and comfort, knowing how to walk alongside people through their pain. In verse 17, as Jesus arrives at Bethany, we learn Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. There was this traditional, you know, seven-day period of mourning, and so many others had gathered around to comfort the sisters in their grief. And then Martha comes to Jesus with this heart-wrenching line, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Oh, Lord, if you had been here, I would still have a job. You know, Jesus, if you had been here, my relationship wouldn't have broken down. Jesus, if you had been here, my relative wouldn't have gotten ill. Jesus, if you had been here, and then you can fill in your own hurt. To emphasise the point, when Jesus then gets to Mary, she responds with the same line. I don't know if you spotted that. She then also says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even the crowd join in. Well, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind, have kept this man from dying? It's this deep frustration and sadness, but mixed with belief and hope that Jesus is still the answer. You know, it's like Martha and Mary are saying, Jesus, you've let us down. If only you'd been here. Where were you when we needed you? But at the same time, they're acknowledging that Jesus is the answer. You know, Jesus, if you had been here, you would have been able to help. Can you resonate when your prayers appear to be delayed by a seemingly absent Jesus and you wrestle and you doubt and you cry and yet you know that the solution isn't found anywhere else. It's found in Jesus. And so Jesus replies to Martha, your brother will rise again on the last day. Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But then comes the heart of the whole story as Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Hope, purpose, resurrection power, life itself are found in Jesus alone. And yet crucially, Jesus doesn't rush Martha and Mary towards this resurrection hope. He doesn't skip past their present reality. He doesn't skim over their emotions, but first he joins them in their grief. Jesus sees Mary weeping, as well as the community around her who have come to grieve. Jesus sees them, and he's deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Just dwell on that for a moment, that the God of the universe is deeply moved by the pain of his friend. So Jesus asks, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord. Jesus wept. That phrase, come and see, is like the simplest invitation of faith that's used by Jesus throughout the Gospels, but here it's used to him. Come and see, Lord, where my brother lays. You you can invite Jesus to come and see your pain, to come and see where you're hurting, And when he sees, Jesus weeps. You know, Jesus weeps even though he knows what's about to happen next. He knows that moments later, Lazarus would walk out of the tomb. And yet he doesn't rush Mary and Martha, but he weeps with them. You know, it's been said that comforting someone in their grief is like entering into a dance and the other person takes the lead. 
And Jesus does that here. You know, Jesus weeping isn't just him showing that he was a real human, although that's true, but far more profoundly, it shows that God, who reigns over all things, is genuinely moved to tears at the grave of his friend. That Jesus, in his divinity, weeps with us. As Isaiah prophesied, he is a man of sorrows, acquainted with our grief and pain. So let's not us rush this moment either. You know, allow Jesus to minister to any pain, grief, resentment, hurt, you know, right now. You know, we know how this story ends. We know where we're going with this. But just as Jesus knew how the story would end, and he didn't rush, we're not in a rush either. You know, Jesus is still deeply moved by your pain, and he welcomes your invitation to come and see where you're hurting. So Holy Spirit, would you come now and minister to us? We'll have time at the end for people to pray with you, but just now in your own heart, just invite Jesus in, say, come and see. And Lord, we ask for the gift of being able to comfort each other in our pain. We're a family here, we wanna walk alongside each other, so I pray you give us the gift of compassion. John Tyson, who's a pastor in New York, says this. He says, one of the greatest deficits in modern society is the ability to walk with others through pain and suffering. He continues, you know, most of our lives are oriented around avoiding pain. We build pathways around suffering, not to it. We structure reality in such a way that we face it as little as possible. When someone experiences tragedy, we mainly move on while they are left in the ongoing consequences of life. The call of Jesus is to choose to enter the pain of others, is to consciously orient our lives in such a way that we are reminded of those who weep rather than avoiding them. In the temple in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus, there was only one entrance and one exit further along on the same wall. And what would happen is people would enter through the entrance that allowed them to go up um, into the temple area and then exit down through the exit in this kind of long one-way system. And huge crowds float in the entrance and out the exit in steady streams each day. But there was one exception to this pattern. There was one group of worshippers that went the opposite way, entering by the exit and leaving through the entrance. And these were the people who were grieving. Listen to this description. As they bumped into and squeezed by each other, the two groups came face to face. The sad faces of those who were experiencing sorrow could be seen by those going the opposite direction to worship. And in those brief moments, the grief could be shared. You know, it is too easy, isn't it, to walk into church and to leave out of the exit without encountering the pain of those inside. 
It's too easy to drive around bad neighbourhoods, too easy to ignore hard texts, too easy to arrange a life where those in pain barely touch us. Now, of course, at the same time, I want to make a quick note on boundaries. You know, we can't meet the needs of everybody that we meet. And Jesus himself, you know, walked away from people and villages in need and often withdrew to pray. But ultimately, Jesus built his ministry on entering pain that others sought to avoid. We do not grieve like those without hope, but let's also not only hope like those who never stop to grieve and never stop to walk with others through their grief. The third and final section of the narrative begins at verse 38 when Jesus comes to the tomb. And once again, he is deeply moved. But it's only now that we move from grief to resurrection hope. And there's this fascinating order of events that's easy to miss the first time you read it through. So let's follow closely. Verse 39, Jesus says, take the stone away. Then Martha protests. She says, if you take that stone away, a bad smell is going to come out. The body's been in there for four days. But they roll the stone away. And here's the crucial bit. Before Jesus commands any kind of miracle, he prays, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. So no bad odour has come out of the tomb, so Lazarus must be alive. And so Jesus prays to the Father, thank you that my prayers have already been answered. You know, this points us all the way back to verse six when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick and he stayed two more days. We now discover what he was doing. Jesus wasn't wasting time. He wasn't absent or distracted. He was interceding for the one he loved. And at, that, and at the right time, his prayer was answered because the Father hears every time we pray. And so the miracle has already happened. The prayer has been answered and Jesus simply needs to say, Lazarus, come out. You know, if Jesus has ever seemed absent in your life, rest assured he is interceding for you. You are the one he loves. And it's important to remember that, isn't it? Because life isn't straightforward it doesn't always go to plan. It's not without pain. We often say, Jesus, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. But you have a father who always hears you and the same Jesus from this story still praying on your behalf. He's on your side and he loves you so much that he would lay down his life for you. You know, in praying for Lazarus and raising him to life, Jesus was walking towards his own death. He was praying his way into the Father's will so that this resurrection hope demonstrated with Lazarus would be available to you today. We worship a God who's deeply moved by your circumstances, a God who enters into your grief and then graciously moves you to resurrection hope. And in the very final two lines of this story, we're reminded that whilst we don't want to brush past grief and pain, we also don't want to get completely stuck there. In verse 44, Lazarus comes out still wrapped in burial clothes. He's been raised from the dead. The miracles happened. There's no longer a reason for anyone to grieve, but he's still wearing the signs of his former pain. And so Jesus says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You know, the message throughout today is that it's so important to enter into grief, pain, suffering, to process them well. 
But sometimes there's a, there's a temptation to continue wearing our grave clothes after the healing has happened. Sometimes we can actually find comfort in hanging on to past hurt. We can find security clinging on to those grave clothes and they start to fit a little bit too well. But if we hold on to hurt, pain, disappointment for too long, that can actually paralyze us from moving into what God has for us next. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Maybe we're still wearing them, clothes of disappointment, rejection, unforgiveness. In this journey of grief to hope, today Jesus wants to meet you in your grief and comfort you. But he also wants to be this final stage, maybe of freedom, of letting go of that past hurt. And Jesus alone is the one who has the power to do it. A final line from the German theologian Ruben Zimmermann, he said this, no tomb can be so tightly sealed that Jesus' voice cannot enter it. You know, no situation is too complex. No situation is too messy. No situation is too painful to stop Jesus from bringing you freedom and hope and resurrection life.